Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank for this opportunity we have to come before you and to look at your word and see what you would have us to see from that. We ask that you guide and lead everything that we look at in your son's precious name. Amen. All right, continuing through Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse 5. Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh, for fear and trembling and singleness of your heart unto Christ. Not as I service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as unto the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatsoever good thing any man does, the same shall be he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. And you masters do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven, Neither is there respect of persons with him. So we're going to look at this. We're continuing through this section on actual practical life. We talked about uh, husbands, wives, fathers, children. And here we are with slaves and masters, or actually servants. And the word here in the, in the Greek for servants is one who gives, gives himself to another's will. All right? So it's not even the normal word for slave and servant. So this would... And we usually equate this verse for our purposes as our workers. <laughs> okay, and it is a valid, valid definition for this. Because if you are working for a company, you're giving up your time and your, your desires to work for somebody else. Which is the definition they just gave. One who gives over their will to another. So, it says here that... Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in singleness of heart as unto Christ. This is probably the one area that the world especially does not do. <laughs> How many times when you were at work did you hear everybody grumbling about the work, grumbling about what they had to do, grumbling about every change that comes down the, down the road? I was a manager for years. I used to hear it all the time. Uh, and I worked for a corporate restaurant for a lot of those times, and there were always changes. <laughs> and everybody always used to complain and gripe about the changes. Yeah. But here it says, are we willing to submit? And again, remember when we talked about submission, that is not state anything about who's more important than the other. It is just an organizing of authority. And it doesn't say, you know, we, we talked about that. When it's talking about the government, we're submitted to the government. It does not mean the government is better than we are. It just means they have authority. The wife is to submit to the husband because he has authority that God's given him. Uh, the church submits to the pastor. The pastor submits to Jesus. It's just, it puts order in. It's not saying anybody's more important, better, qualified even sometimes. It's just what God says. And here is telling the servants, be obedient or submitted to your masters. Okay? And in the church, and especially in the early church, it was quite an interesting environment. Slaves and masters oftentimes went to the same church. Oftentimes, in the church, the slave might be the pastor and the teacher. So in the church, he had authority over the master, but outside of the church, the master had authority over him. So it was quite an interesting reversal when they went into the church. And so here Paul is telling them, stay in singleness of mind. Serve. And he goes on, in case you don't understand, he goes, not as eye servers, as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ. 
know, this is something that's hard out in the workplace, and most of our people, of course, are retired, but you, know, you can remember or you can help, help your grandchildren and children. When you're in the workforce, if you're a Christian, you should be working to earn your check. Not to see how little you can do and get away with. And we've all been there, we've all seen the person who works twice as hard trying not to work than they would have if they had worked. Yeah. I've seen, I have seen people seem to do more work to stay out of work than if they'd actually done just what they had to do. And it would be hilarious watching them you know, as they were pretending to work uh, in, in that. God tells us we're to work as unto him. And I've seen it, you've all seen it with people, maybe you've done it, hopefully not, but you know, where people, when the boss isn't around, stop working. Uh, I remember one job, but really, I wasn't in management at the time, and people would start their, start their lunch about 25 minutes before lunch started, and come back about 25 minutes after lunch started, and we had an hour break in this company. So they were really stretching their break. And there'd be times when you took your 10-minute break, and people were on break when I came, and they were still on break when I left. Because nobody was there watching them. Jesus, is a, and this book is saying, work is unto God. Sometimes when we get volunteers, sometimes volunteers are hard to get to do things too. You get one side where volunteers are so happy about what they're doing that they work you know, much harder than you'd ever expect. And then you've got some people who are just volunteering to, to kind of say, well, I went there. And if nobody's watching them, they don't work. But God is saying, work as if he was watching you, because guess what? He is. He is watching you because he's everywhere. He's watching every time we're not out there earning our paycheck, not out there serving the people. Uh, I love being a chaplain out at the prison because my job is to talk to people. I get to spend my whole day just talking to people, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, I've never had a job where I get to talk to people all day long before. I've always had things to get done. But when I had those jobs that I had to get things done, I couldn't spend all the time talking to people. I couldn't talk to them about God when things were supposed to be going on. You know, I, get now paid, I get paid to talk to people about God. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful job. So when we look at this, when we were working, do we work to get as little as possible done or as little as we would stay out of trouble for? And a lot of people, that's what they do. How little can I get away with? And, or how much can I get away with, I guess is what it should be. But it says here, work as servants of Christ. Is there a little bit of difference in when you're working for God as when you're working for other people? According to this verse, there shouldn't be. Because he says, everything we do, we're working for him. We need to realize that. When we did the Truth Project, one of the things Del Tackett said in there that really stuck with me is most people don't believe that God is omnipresent. Okay? Now, we know that he is, we teach that he is, but you know, most people act like he's not. Now, I've had people tell me, you know, over the years, I wouldn't do this if my mom was around. I'm going, okay, so your mom is more important than God. Well, no, I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it because it wouldn't please God. I go, but God's here. He's watching. 
He's here, whether your mom's here, or your dad's here, or your best friend's here, or your wife, your spouse is here. God is still here. How many of us actually live our life as if we don't believe that God is everywhere? We do things in the privacy of our own house, car, wherever, that we know are wrong. We don't want other people to know, yet God is there seeing it. No. We need to really come to the realization that he's there. And this is what he's saying here. Serve the master as you would God because God is there. And we need to make that point of working. I remember when I was really young, I was told I needed to slow down. I was making everybody look bad. And I'm going, I'm sorry, I've got to work. God says to work, I've got to work. Because they were in coffee breaks all the time. <laughs> you know, so we look at this. Do we have a biblical framework? Are we looking at things from a biblical point of view? And we've talked about this on many different things. You know, living, you know, we yesterday we went to a, a renewal of balance for a couple who've been married for 50 years. You know, and that is wonderful. And you know, one thing I loved about it is everybody wasn't making a big deal that it was 50 years because it was a place where they expected Christian marriage to last. It's always amazed me, you know, it amazes me in the world that, that the world always, if you've been married longer than about five years, it's a big deal to the world. You know, back when I was married 10 years, they're going, oh, you've been married 10 years? How did you, how did you, you know, then 20 years, 30 years. <laughs> you know, been married for 35 years, and, you know, to me, we're just getting started. It's just starting. Because God says it's forever. 50 years, it's a great number. We've been alive when it's a 50-year celebration for us. But you know, what bothers me most is when Christians get this attitude of, wow, it's amazing, it's great, you know, wonderful, and how amazing you stay together that long. It immediately tells me that they're not looking at marriage the way God does. Because they're looking at it the way the world does. They're going to break up. They're, you know, most of the world, when they get married, they're automatically saying, okay, well, at least we can get divorced if it doesn't work. You know, if you start out without attitude, I can, I can, I can almost guarantee it's not going to work out. Because you're already looking for the escape if it doesn't. So the first time you have a problem, you're going to escape. Because you, you, put, the, you put the opening there. If you get married, and when I counsel people for marriage, it's the thing, this is forever. This is not something that's going to be broken except by adultery. And that is the mindset I want them going in with. Because then, the first time something hard goes on, okay, we've got to work through this because it's, it's permanent. We've got to go forward. We've got to continue. Biblical mindset. How does it affect our work? How does it affect our marriage? How does it affect our service to God in general? How does it affect our money? It's, it's been said, if you want to know how, what's important to somebody, open up their checkbook and see where they write the checks to. Because we all know if it's important to you, you'll find money. I've always wondered how smokers and drinkers can afford to do either one of those habits. Because it's important to them. They'll make, they'll make the funds to do it. You know, I've seen guys who are very into sports. You know, and I can't tell you, I look at the price of tickets and I go, I'd love to go to some games sometime, but I look at the price of tickets and say, nope, can't afford it. And yet they'll go every week. You know, if you're in baseball or basketball, several times a week. 
What is important? What is our biblical point of view on this? When we look at our government, now God ordained governments. Our government is starting to fall apart. We as Christians need to open up our Bibles, compare, those, compare that information to the candidates, and vote candidates who are going to stand for God, as near as we can understand. Because there's certain things that are much more important than, than whether they're going to stop trade or all these other things. You know, when we get to the moral things that God say are wrong, that they're going to say we need to do, we need to get them out of office. And I'm not going to ever sit here and tell you who to vote for, who not to vote for, but open up your Bible. Say what's important and vote, for, vote according to what, what God says. Applying our biblical worldview to everything. This country started on a biblical worldview. I'm not going to say they were all Christians, but they had a biblical worldview of what was right, what was wrong. And slowly that has disappeared. To the point now where, where they're turning everything that God says on its head. Everything that's good is bad, and what's bad is good. Most people don't even want to get married anymore because they see the failure of marriage. And they see it from the church as well. And that is sad when we can't apply God's morals and definitions. And we need to get into this. Obey Christ. We are his servants. We need to obey him in all parts of our life. Because it is so important that we set an example. Are we going to be perfect? Nope. But you know what's most important? We are, we are called saints. We are called his children. We are called the elect. God declares that we're perfect the moment we're saved. If you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God in the courts of heaven says you're perfect. I hope, that, I hope that really hits you in a very strong way. When Satan comes along and says you're a terrible person and you sin all the time, you can say, yes, but God says I'm perfect. I'm going to grow, I'm going to grow in his grace. Does that mean everybody's perfect? No, they, don't have, they have not accepted Christ and put on the righteousness of Christ. Then God, then God has not declared them perfect. They will go to hell. But once we've accepted him, he declares us perfect. He's looking at us to live that way. And we've talked about it. It's not us taking a whip and chain and, and beating ourselves up and, and beating our flesh into submission. Once we're in Christ, he crucifies the flesh and he changes us. I've said it over and over. Christianity is really the easiest life to live, even though it's hard. All I've got to do is give up. Give in to Christ and he changes me. And I hope that you have seen this as you've lived your life with Christ. Look back over time and say, how far have you come? Are you more spiritual today than you were a year ago, six months ago, a year ago, two years ago, ten years ago? How far back do you have to go? But if he's changing your life and you're in a relationship with him, there should be changes. If you have not changed and become more righteous, you need to look and make sure you're in a relationship with Jesus. Because I absolutely believe that you cannot lose your salvation. Once you have salvation, you have salvation. You're in a relationship with God. The scary thing is that not everybody who thinks they're in a relationship with God is. Jesus said many in that day would say, Lord, Lord, didn't I? And look at the list of things they say. I visited the sick. I cast out demons. I, I went to the hospital. I healed people. All these things that they said they did. They, you know, implicitly, they were saying I, was going, I went to church every week. <laughs> 
He's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Do you know Jesus? For me, it's not a question. I know that I know Jesus. We have a great relationship. I talk to him. He talks to me in the scriptures. He's changed my life in so many ways it's unfathomable. He's taken away so much out of my life. And you know the great news is it's him that does it. And I've told you, there's many times I've heard his voice saying, do you want to get rid of this? And there's times when I say no. Now, then a little while later he asked me the same question. God doesn't move on to the next question until we grow in the area that he's trying to teach us. He, 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 we've said this before, he's not like the school system that says, whether you learn it or not, we're going to the next topic. He has wonderful individualized plans for every one of us, and if you want to stop on, on one thing for six months, a year, two decades, uh, we talked about this, uh, Abraham left the Earl of Chaldees and stopped at Haran for 20 years. And God says, well, when you're ready to go, we, we, will, we will continue. God's patient. He can make life difficult when you're not listening to him and, and following his will. But he's saying, are you ready? Are you ready? When you say yes, then he'll take you to the next, next place. But it is allowing him to make these changes. We can stop him from making changes. We can say, God, I'm just not going to participate in this. I'm not going to. I'm not going to be the sacrifice in Romans 12:1. Uh, we're the living sacrifice. We can say, No, I'm not going to stay on this sacrificial table and, and be sacrificed. We can say, No, I'm not going to cooperate. I'm not going to be crucified in this area. And you'll say, Fine, until you're ready to be crucified. And things will get tough. The hardest thing in the world is not doing what God's asking you to do, isn't it? You know, you know what he wants you to do, and you decide, I am not going to do it. <laughs> and he doesn't come in with thunderbolts and, and earthquakes. You know, he just kind of says, okay, let's make life just a little difficult. And the longer you reject it, the more difficult it gets. You know, one thing I've learned after 44 years it's better just to surrender and let him have his way. It really is. He is going to get his way. And I, I can fight him for, for a long period of time, or I can just surrender. I'm pretty hard-headed, but I have learned usually now to surrender a lot easier than I used to. I've showed you that. It was a time I took six years to learn something. I suffered, the family suffered. But God will make sure that you're going to eventually listen to him. You're going to do what he wants to do. So do it. <laughs> Just learn to surrender. But he's saying here, back to this, your servants, you're to serve as unto Christ, doing the will of God from your heart, from your innermost being. How many of us have trouble with God in our heart? Now, it's pretty amazing when you get God all the way down into your heart and he is the motivation for everything you're doing, life changes. When he is what's most important to you and you let him crucify you, you get into Romans 12 too, be not conformed to this world but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we renew our mind? With the word of God. What is transformation? Literally in the Greek, it is to be metamorphed. 
which is the idea of the caterpillar going into the cocoon and coming out as a butterfly. And you know, if you cut the cocoon up in the middle of that process, all you find is a gooey gel, as it totally changes what it is. God is telling us we are to be that type. We are to be totally transformed from who we were to who he says we are. And you know what? It's him that does that. It's him that strips out the flesh and says, here's your new nature. Have you noticed the desires have changed? If you're following Christ, have you noticed that your desires are to please God more than, than please yourself? Have you noticed that it's easier to love people than it used to be? To care for people? To speak in edification to people? It's not us that makes those changes. It's God in us. And we've talked a lot about this over the last couple of weeks, that it's God who gives us the ability to submit. It's God who gives us the ability to love. We can't love on our own the way God wants us to love. God says we're to objectively love. We're to love people by choice, just as he loves people. That's hard to do. But you know, if you truly make the choice to love somebody, the only way you're not going to love them is if you say, I don't love them anymore. God's love for us is objective. He says, I love you, and he doesn't change. He is not going to say, I don't love you, because he has chosen to love. He is going to love even when he's sitting on the white throne judgment having to send people to hell because that's what they've chosen. But he still loves the person. But his righteousness and his holiness must be justified, and they need to be punished. This section ends with masters do the same thing. And I love this forbear, threatening. I've all told you, I love the word forbear. Forbear means to give up your right to demand punishment. So he's telling them, give up, masters, give up your right to threaten your servants. Can you imagine what that would be like to work for somebody who actually cares for you and wants what's best for you? Yeah. I've had only one manager in my life that, really, that I felt was that way. As a manager, I tried to be that way, to care about my people. As a pastor, I definitely want to care about my people because it's so important. I want to teach people how to follow God how to love God, how to apply God to their life. Here he's telling the masters, don't threaten your, your slaves, don't threaten your workers. It's a lot harder to motivate than threaten. <laughs> you, know, you, you threaten them, especially in their case, you know, threaten them with a whip, threaten them with dismissal. It's a lot easier to threaten somebody, but you don't get very much work out of that person. If you get somebody who's knowing that you're caring about them and you're wanting the best for them as well as for yourself, you can get a lot more out of people. This is the way that God deals with us. As I said, he's not going to sit there and, and beat us over the head until we obey. He's going to be patient. He's going to make life difficult because he wants the best for us. And you know, we've got to keep realizing when God puts things in our life, he's wanting what's best for us. When we go through hard times, God says, I know what I'm doing. And we talked about this. God's always in control. Even when all hell breaks loose in your life, 
And it seems like everything's going wrong, and believe me, I've been there. All of us have probably been there at some point. God still is in control. And it's still true that it is for good. Even when nothing seems to be good out of it. Later on, you may see why it was for good. Maybe. God doesn't promise to show us all the time why it was. In heaven, maybe we'll see. Sometimes it may be just to make it able to deal with other people going through hard times. Maybe it's to get us ready for the next harder task that's coming along. We don't know what he's doing. He does. He understands, and he doesn't threaten. He, he kind of pushes. Sometimes kind of uh, sets the obstacles in our way so that he kind of knows which way we're going to go. I, I can remember doing that sometimes with the, my teenagers, you know. Rather than just say yes or no, I would put some obstacles in their way, kind of leading them the way that I wanted them to make the decision. Didn't always work. I wasn't God. <laughs> God's real good at it. He puts obstacles in our way, and we go the way he wants. Yeah. You think about Saul, knocked off his horse, blinded and talked to by God. Now, did God make him say yes? Well, in one sense, yes. <laughs> Yeah. Nobody in their right mind would have gone through what he had just gone through and said, no, I'm not going to serve you. But you know, God put obstacles in his path and said, you're going, you're going to answer my call. And sometimes God will get to that with us. He'll put some obstacles in our path and says, yes, I want, you to, I want you to do this. I want you to serve this call. Our job is, let's not get to those obstacles. <laughs> let's try to answer before we get to the obstacles. We need to learn to hear his voice, learn to say, yes, God, I'm going to follow. We want to be able to do that and follow through. We're going to close here. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We ask that you help us learn to follow you in a greater way. Lord, if there's anybody here that doesn't know you in a really personal life style, that you just burden their heart. If you don't know me, you want to, all you have to do is admit, Lord, I am a sinner. I deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus paid for that sin come into my heart. If you said that prayer, come talk to me later after, after we're done, and, and let's talk for more about that. But Lord, we thank you for this. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your care. We thank you for all that you've done for us, and ask that you will be with us for the rest of this day as we go into singing and then in the fellowship to follow in your son's name. Amen.